stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. listening to Administrative Static. This is Mark Chenoweth. John Vecchioni is on vacation, but I am not flying solo. I am uh, joined by, uh, well, rejoined by Janine Eunice, who has been on the program before. Actually, I think you you co-hosted one time before, didn't you, when you were at NCLA previously? Or? I don't think so. I think okay. I've only been on, but I've been okay. on quite a few times. <laughs> well, now you're officially a co-host. So uh, so so welcome, uh, welcome back to Administrative Static. We were going to talk about uh, some... Uh, sort of recent events that affect the Missouri v. Biden case that NCLA uh, is is very involved in. And this has to do with, so, so Janine uh, was working up on Capitol Hill uh, as a staffer uh, with uh, the, well, you, why don't you say, because I'll probably get the name of the committee wrong. <laughs> it's the Select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, uh, and it's Subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee. And so what were they looking into and what were what were these releases that are relevant to the Missouri uh, v. Biden case? So the project I was working on was the government's involvement in tech censorship, which is essentially uh, what that what the Missouri versus Biden case alleges that the government has been driving a lot of the censorship on social media through coercion, encouragement, threats, that kind of thing, and that that's a First Amendment violation. So this um, investigation is sort of looking at the same stuff. And a few weeks ago, obtained internal documents from Meta or Facebook, which has, that's been new. Um, the discovery in Missouri versus Biden, while a lot was uncovered, did not, was not able to get internal documents. And I think that was sort of critical because there was a lot of... Uh, so, so it got documents between Facebook and the government, but not internal Facebook emails. Right. Is that the difference? Exactly. Okay. And, and also other tech companies. Um okay. So the judge had granted, to sort of back up a little bit, the judge had granted discovery in Missouri versus Biden um, at the preliminary injunction phase, which is unusual. And that led to the discovery of of quite important information. There was a lot of, there were a lot of threats from the White House and, uh, well, really, especially the White House saying, you know, if you don't take down this vaccine related misinformation, um, if you don't take down these posts, we're going to be looking at our options. We're going to find out what to do. So they were saying these things to the tech company behind closed doors, tech companies behind closed doors. And then at the same time, they were going out publicly and saying these companies are killing people. Um, so this was Biden, especially his press secretary, Jen Psaki, and the Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Um, we're looking at Section 230 to see how it can be used to hold them accountable, that kind of thing. And uh, the First Amendment Supreme Court precedent is quite clear that the government can't use private companies to circumvent the First Amendment. So the government can't try to use, if uh, the government can't threaten or encourage or co-opt private industry to censor people for expressing disfavored viewpoints. That's essentially what we're saying here. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing I'd say was kind of missing (laughs) was, and I think, I think we had enough anyway, but if, you know, the what the government kept saying was, you don't have evidence that the tech companies are doing the censorship because of the pressure. You have mm. the pressure, you have the companies changing their policies, but maybe they just wanted to do it. Maybe they were just taking this uh, under advisement. You know, they, they wanted to please the government. 
these internal documents, you have executives and other employees at Facebook saying, we've got to do this because the government is pressuring us. Um, there was this, my favorite one, I think, was Nick Clegg, who's a fairly high up executive at Facebook, writing to the vice president of public policy saying, why did we censor the lab leak theory again? And um, the public policy guy goes, because of pressure from the administration, we shouldn't have done it. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, a kind of a smoking that's pretty, gun. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's about as smoking a gun as you're going to find in this context. I mean, they, yeah. they're, they're admitting that they did it because of the pressure and they're saying they shouldn't have done it. And essentially, they only did it because of the pressure. Right. And and there's quite a lot of that. So, well, that's, I think, that's a very shocking example. Um, there are and, more. And, and, and by the way, Nick Clegg, former deputy prime minister of the United <laughs> Kingdom. So this is no wallflower that, yeah. you're, that you're talking about. I mean, this is a very uh, highly skilled, competent, sort of big deal executive at the company. You're right, right. And another um, very interesting uh, email was he was recounting a conversation he had had with Andy Slavitt, who was one of the worst actors in the White House on this. He was a senior advisor for the COVID-19 response or something. And he had quite a bunch of emails where he was sort of bullying and threatening the tech companies. But he was recounting to his colleagues a conversation he had with Slavitt. And there he says, um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember the... Uh, well, give me the, the words, context. <laughs> give me the context again. So this is this is an email exchange, or this is a yeah. He said that. Oh, sorry, it just came back to me. <laughs> he said that Slavit was outraged that a meme hadn't been taken down, hmm. and it was a meme basically of like it was like a a joke, a trial lawyer saying, "Did you take the COVID vaccine? You'll be eligible for uh... <laughs> right, like these late night commercials, <laughs> exactly. Kind of like, thing. Yeah, yeah, it was mocking like an ex asbestos commercial. So it was mm -hmm. supposed to be a joke. Um, and but the idea is that you know, ten years from now, or ten, maybe it says less, ten, years, it says 10 from years from now, right? <laughs> you know, like you might be getting solicited by plaintiffs' attorneys because you were injured by the COVID vaccine. That's the joke, right? Exactly. And so Clegg said, he, you know, he's recounting this to his colleagues. He said, "I told him this would uh, present a serious incursion into first or free speech in the United States," uh, but he said he didn't care because it would uh, contribute to vaccine hesitancy, which I think is pretty shocking. Um, <laughs> it is shocking in more ways than one. I mean, first of all, the person standing up for the First Amendment in this situation is the former United Kingdom deputy prime minister, so not even an American. <laughs> and you have somebody at the White House who presumably would be standing up for Americans and the Constitution uh, saying that they don't care about the First Amendment. I mean, that's that is shocking. Right, right. Um, so and luckily, these documents came out just in time for the Fifth Circuit argument in Missouri versus Biden. So on the 4th of July, actually, the district court judge, the lower court judge granted the plaintiff's request for a preliminary injunction and in a kind of unprecedented ruling. Um, he, he said it was arguably the most massive for, uh, attack against free speech in United States history. And he enjoined that means he's he stopped. He said that the government cannot communicate with social media companies for the purpose of censoring free uh, free speech or protected speech. Essentially, mm -hmm. it's a little bit complicated. But he carved out exceptions for national security and that kind of thing, which wouldn't be protected speech. And he didn't even have access to this material when no. he did that ruling, right? That was mostly based on the Twitter files and some of the discovery in that case. No. Um, so I think that the lawyers who are arguing the appeal in the Fifth Circuit, so uh, the the government tried to get a stay. They didn't get a stay in the district court. They appealed that to the Fifth Circuit, which granted an administrative stay, but that is solely based on sort of 
this being a rather um, a case with some serious implications. And they actually said that they grant them as a routine practice in the Fifth Circuit. So it's not based on the merits at all. Right. And they expedited the appeal, which says they're taking it seriously. Um Right, and that's coming up. Is it that's August, on August 10th? 10th Thursday, yeah. August 10th. So I believe the lawyers can ask for the Fifth Circuit judges to take judicial notice of these new facts. Uh, I can imagine the government might try to say they can't. <laughs> yeah, that's so. That's an interesting question because there's also uh, pending the you know the case that you had brought when you were at NCLA before the Chinggisi case is now pending. The oral argument already happened in the Sixth Circuit, but the decision hasn't come down yet. So. I guess another question would be whether the judges in that case can take judicial notice of some of the material in these Facebook files, because that, uh, you know, my recollection of the oral argument there is at least one of the judges seemed to be saying, well, you know, how is this any different from, you know, Franklin Roosevelt or, or you know, some other past, past presidents using the bully pulpit to kind of rally industry or, or, or what have you. Uh, and I think that what I'm hearing you say is this is different. These Facebook files show that there was some real coercion uh, going on here of speech. Right, right. And I I I mean rallying the um rallying private industry isn't the same as violating people's first amendment rights. I mean Right. It, it, yeah, there's one thing of sort of haranguing the business for the business to do something that only affects the business. Right. That's different than using the business to violate the individual rights of Americans. Right. And in the first example, they're not using the business to do something that's unlawful. They're just using the business to do something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that's a crucial difference that the court uh, hopefully will see. But that's a good question as to whether they could uh, take judicial notice of the new information. Anything else that's particularly juicy in the the new information or or just uh, that anything that reinforces uh, even more strongly some of the material that was already out there? Um, well, uh, one thing I will mention is that the the new information also shows that a, uh, 12 specific people were targeted by the administration. So we, they're called the disinformation dozen. They were labeled. By, by the administration, by right? The admin- I mean, they, um, or no? Sort of. Okay. <laughs> it's a little bit complicated. There's an organization called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. Who uh, they What they really do is try to get um, government to censor people. <laughs> so they come out with fake reports that make up numbers saying, you know, this group of people is responsible for vaccine deaths because they say things and people listen to it. And um, they usually just pull their numbers out of thin air. But in any event, uh, current presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy is actually part of the disinformation dozen that the Center for Countering Digital Hate told the administration is responsible for 65% of vaccine misinformation. Um, And so the administration was publicly using that report to say these people need to be silenced and then was privately pressuring Facebook about those people. And Facebook actually, these internal documents show they took issue with it. And they said, ah, we don't really see where they're getting these numbers. We don't think this is right. Uh, RFK hasn't violated our policies. And then ended up succumbing, saying we're basically we're succumbing to pressure and changing our policies so that we can get these people off the platform. So this is, you know, this is bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, so similar to what was happening with Twitter and Alex Berenson. That's right. Like. That's right. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it's a problem when they're doing this in a general sense, but when they're targeting specific individuals, I think it's it's even more uh, troubling. Well, this will, uh, as as Janine said, the, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals will be hearing this. Uh, now, 
so we've got just 15 seconds left, but they're hearing the question of whether or not to keep the preliminary injunction in effect. That's the question before the Fifth Circuit on the on the, the 10th. challenge is actually to this uh, to the denial of the stay, but it's going to effectively involve all of the same questions. Okay, we'll pick this up uh, for a second segment right after this. back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and Janine Yunus with you. We are talking about uh, Missouri v. Biden case uh, that's coming up for oral argument at the Fifth Circuit on the stay. Uh, and we're also talking about the uh, freedom, uh, or excuse me, the uh, Facebook files that, uh, that were released this past week or so by uh, Chairman Jordan of the House Judiciary Committee uh, in, a, in a sort of uh, Twitter... Uh, uh, not list. What's the word? It's thread. 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 Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Janine is the Twitter knowledgeable <laughs> user here, not me. Um, and so uh, I was starting to ask you, like, what's the issue in front of the Fifth Circuit? And if I understand correctly, there's an administrative stay in place until the hearing on the 10th. And then the question at the hearing will be whether or not to, uh, is, is whether the denial of the stay of the preliminary injunction uh, is correct or not. And so the Fifth Circuit will essentially be deciding whether to have a stay of the preliminary injunction or not have a stay of the preliminary injunction. And your assumption is that if they say no stay on the preliminary injunction, you would expect the government to then appeal the preliminary injunction to the Supreme Court? I think so. I would really surprise me if they didn't. Yeah. You don't think they would say, you know, this this doesn't belong on the shadow docket, uh, you know, all of this Supreme <laughs> all the things they've been saying about deciding things on preliminary injunction basis would just fly out the window and suddenly they would love love the Supreme Court to take a preliminary injunction case. I, I think... <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the hypocrisy on these things that sometimes runs both ways. Uh, yeah. if, if you need a court to do something for you, you, you need a court to do something for you. So... Uh, yeah. But uh, um, the the other thing we were going to talk about, uh, Janine, is uh, the the sort of shocking thing that happened this week. And I'm 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 sorry, John isn't here only because <laughs> I know he wants to get on his soapbox and just yeah. rage and, and rant about this a little bit. But uh, we uh, often have these programs at NCLA called Lunch and Law. And if you listen to the podcast and you haven't listened to any of our Lunch and Law programs, I encourage you to go on. I started to say YouTube. Maybe I should encourage you to go on Rumble. You can go on our website, uh, nclalegal.org, and you can look up these Lunch and Law programs, and you can listen. And essentially, they're hour, hour and 15 minute long with, with Q&A sometimes uh, programs where we look at one of the cases. Typically, it's one of the cases that NCLA has that's that's ongoing. Sometimes we'll look at the cases from the Supreme Court's term or something that's not entirely talking about our cases. But we had a program uh, just uh, uh, at the end of July on the uh, preliminary injunction that that Janine was just talking about in the last segment that Judge Dowdy handed down in the Western District of Louisiana. 
and we had John Vecchioni uh, there moderating the panel. And then we had uh, Jeanette Brown uh, from NCLA who had gone down to the Western District of Louisiana for the argument on the preliminary injunction. And then we had John Sauer uh, who argued the preliminary injunction and has been the, the lead litigator throughout in the Missouri v. Biden uh, case. And I'll be damned if we put it up on YouTube and it got taken down within, <laughs> you know, within 24 hours of when we first had it up there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was shocked, Janine, that YouTube took this down. If, if any, And they took it down. They claimed it was medical misinformation. And we said, well, that can't be right. I mean, come on, take another look. We're going to appeal this. It wasn't really, I mean, there wasn't really anything medical in it. I mean, right. It was a talk about what the judge's findings in the case had right. been. And so the judge had found that certain kinds of uh, things were taken down and that those things were protected by the First Amendment. And right. so for us to mention that, uh, you know, things like uh, natural immunity and the fact that that people who have recovered from COVID have natural immunity. That first of all, that's not medical misinformation anyway. But we were talking about it in the context of this is what the judge said, and for them yeah. to take that down, I was astounded. By yeah, that. it's. I wish I was astounded, but <laughs> I've had a number of interviews on similar topics taken down from YouTube. So. Um, I know they're doing that. You're but, a you're a recidivist on yeah, the exactly. on the takedown train. Yeah, I I don't know if it's just that uh, they have an algorithm or the people who are uh, reviewing these things aren't that bright and don't get it or what exactly is going on or more insidiously they actually don't want the public to be able to hear about this kind of stuff, um, and that's what's going on. But it's it's really stunning. And in in 2023, uh, it, it's just. <laughs> Well, yeah, and they have Section 230 immunity for, for doing right. this, right? So that that may be part of it, too, that they don't have the right incentives to not be sloppy in, in their algorithms or whatever they're, whatever they're doing. But this, I would encourage all the listeners to go and, again, nclalegal.org, listen to, uh, and we, we put it up on Rumble uh, when it was taken down on YouTube. And, and I suppose I should hasten to add that YouTube has put it back up and they've removed the strike that they had against us, but they haven't explained why. And is yeah. it just because we made a big stink and started talking about it on all of our other channels? <laughs> Probably. Uh, yeah. Is it because the lawyers found out about it and they said, what the hell are you doing? We've got an oral argument coming up in front of the Fifth Circuit on censorship in, you know, 10 days. Why are you taking stuff down from one of the parties in the lawsuit? That's, or, you know, the lawyers for one of the parties in the lawsuit. That's crazy. You're asking for trouble. Um, so we don't know why it got put back up, but it did get uh, put back up. But so either uh, you know if you're if you're an inveterate YouTube user, go go watch it on YouTube, or you can watch it on on Rumble. Uh, but I think it's the best luncheon law that we've that we've had, and I say that knowing that I've moderated a bunch of them, and, and Janine's moderated some of them. So I'm not trying. <laughs> you should watch those too. But I really thought uh, I enjoyed this one thoroughly, and and thought that they uh, it was very informative, very entertaining, and if you're at all interested in the censorship issue, uh, you should go. You should go watch it. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't know what, uh, I don't know what we can do about the fact that you have these companies with this chokehold position, like YouTube. That uh, you know, our I, I will say this: our uh, uh, the last time I checked, we had over twenty five hundred views on Rumble, uh, and usually, if we put something on YouTube and something on Rumble, we'll get 
we might get that many views initially on YouTube, but we won't get anywhere close to that on Rumble. So it does look like a lot of people did switch over and watch it on Rumble. So I guess I would tell YouTube, watch out. Yeah. You may think you have a monopoly now. Yeah. uh, But, you know, once upon a time, Microsoft had a monopoly on, on, you know, on uh, internet browsers. uh, And that, that seems to have not been, (laughs) that's no longer true. So, so be careful. Uh, would be my message uh, to YouTube and to listeners. I would say, be aware of the fact that if something is taken down, it doesn't mean that it's misinformation. No. These companies are throwing around. You've mentioned it before, Janine. Malinformation. And what's your take yeah. on these new term? This new terminology. Well, it's just it, these are terms that are used in order to justify censorship. Uh, frankly. <laughs> so misinformation, I mean, it's not, misinformation is nothing new. It's people, you know, the idea is people saying things that are untrue. Of course, misinformation uh, is also used to, as a term for things that the government disagrees with or wants to silence. So um, for natural immunity being as good as vaccine immunity, uh, the, the government was calling that misinformation a couple of years ago. Now we know that's true. Um, and even the government <laughs> has admitted it now. Yeah. Uh, disinformation is, um, you know, just those are, are, are lies, intentional lies. So misinformation is unintentional untruths. But these are <laughs> these are just terms that are sort of used to make people think that there is something new going on that justifies an, uh, an unprecedented level of censorship. And then malinformation is true things that are taken out of context. So the government actually used that uh, for claims that are similar to another case. We have uh, Dressen versus Flaherty which um, uh, vaccine injured people challenging censorship of their accounts and groups and pages. Um, And so the government has actually said, as I've read in emails from Discovery in Missouri versus Biden, that, well, if people tell stories about their vaccine injuries without context, without statistics about how many other people didn't suffer these injuries, that's malinformation. It encourages people to not get the vaccine. But um, well, it's true, but it lacks context. And I well, think that's very insidious. <laughs> well, it's insidious and it runs one way because isn't it just as, uh, by that standard, wouldn't it be just as out of context to say, you know, you should really go get the the vaccine without talking about any of the vaccine right. injured people or so. I mean, it, I don't understand why that logic wouldn't right. run, run both ways. Right. And the, actually the new, what we were talking about, the new stuff that came out last week, that was one of the emails, the Surgeon General uh, well, Facebook was recounting the conversation to other employees, but according to him, the Surgeon General had said he wanted uh, content removed, including true accounts that might discourage people from getting the vaccine and people who are talking about vaccine side effects, even if they're true. <laughs> Which is... Right. So, you know, and and the thing that I thought was so distressing about the, the Dressen case is these are folks who they're actually injured. And in some cases, uh, they were diagnosed as vaccine injured by the National Institutes of Health. So you know right. this isn't like some, you know, I don't know, rural doctor somewhere deciding that this was re- really. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't chastise rural doctors. I grew up in Kansas and uh, ha- have a high opinion of of rural doctors, but uh, they're they're doing a, uh, God's work there. But, um, uh, but but you know, it's not just one doctor somewhere deciding that someone's right. vaccine injured. This was the people at the you know, uh, the government's own doctors, I'll put it that way, were deciding that these people were vaccine injured. And then uh, uh, they don't want them to talk about that. And these folks are just trying to find other people going through the same misery that they're going through yeah. in order to, I mean, we, we all need, I mean, we all need to have 
this sort of support groups and networks if we're going through things like that. And they were being denied this. Yeah, by the government, (laughs) ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. In violation of the First Amendment. So, so, you know, I'm glad to say that it's back up. The video's back up. You can watch Mm it. Um, you know, on YouTube or or Rumble, the Lunch and Law video featuring John Vecchioni, uh, Jeanette Brown, and uh, John Sauer. And I would encourage you to watch that ahead of the Fifth Amendment uh, oral argument on August 10th. That will be available as well. Uh, the Fifth Circuit uh, has those things, uh, live audio stream of it. So not a, not a video stream, but a live audio stream. If you're interested in censorship and, and how this is going down in the federal courts, I would encourage you uh, to listen to that too. Uh, Janine, it's been super fun having you as as my guest host uh, uh, today. Uh, thanks for being on Administrative Static. It's been fun being here. Thank you. 